I wish my patients knew that when they go to a different dentist and is told that you need five fillings and you go back to your old dentist and he or she says, you don't need any fillings. They are both right. What's up, y'all? Thanks for tuning in to The Punk Perspective, episode 16. We're your hosts, Dr. Lee. <laughs> Dr. Chen. There you go. There you go. Improv it up. So for those who don't know, right, Michael and I are working dentists in America. And, you know, I have a confession. You know, I enjoy reading one-star Yelp reviews of dental practices. Part of it's for entertainment. But I think it's valuable to understand patient psychology on what they want, what they don't want, their frustrations and values. And, you know, out of those reviews, I got to say the ones that stick out to me are the kinds where accusations or judgments were made. But as a dentist reading, I felt I could, you know, explain what actually happened and why it happened and why I felt like ultimately calling them like a scammer is ultimately short-sighted. And it's important that, you know, I'm not saying there aren't bad actors, you know, in any industry and dentistry is no exception. But my vision for this episode is that I want to cater to non-dentists to show our thought processes that may illuminate some of the nuances behind our patients' seeming frustrations. So our topic today is what we wish our patients knew about dentistry as dentists. And, you know, I say for a topic like this, the more the merrier. So we recruited two more dentists with us today. First is a returning guest from episode six, Dr. Charles Rusaini. Hello. Yeah. And <laughs> last but not least, uh, another one of our uh, very good mutual friend, Dr. Leo. So thanks for coming on. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, who wants to start? Oh, you can start, Eric. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let me uh, let me calm myself because I wasn't expecting this. <clears throat> okay, I, I can start. I can start. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I start with easy ones, you know. So I think the one that I was thinking about is, especially in my current office, where a lot of my patients are more educated. They have like pretty good oral hygiene. That just because I do your cleaning in like twenty to thirty minutes doesn't mean that I'm not spending enough time or working hard to make sure your hygiene is clean, especially when they have pretty clean teeth already. I'm not really going to spend like a whole hour kind of scraping at nothing. And there's a lot of studies that show that you can get attachment loss if you root plane with less than like three millimeter pocket depth. So I think that's one that uh, I thought of. Yeah. So, you know, remember, we're trying to cater this for non-dentists. So if I can have you articulate the three millimeter pocket depths, yeah. can you make it more simple for us here? Yeah. It's just, you know, whenever you go to the dentist, they take these measurements of your gum. And three millimeters is like a pretty normal, uh, healthy, like gum measurement. So if your measurements are already pretty normal, you know, I don't think you always have to have like a heavy, heavy cleaning that takes an hour. Gotcha. So like if you have healthy gums, um, you can actually over clean and be harmful right. to the patient, right? I think this is a good topic right here because, you know, we all have experiences. Well, maybe it's just me where a patient would be like, wait, that's it? After yeah, cleaning, yeah, exactly. And it just really kind of throws me off. And, and I actually think I solved this problem. So right. just hear me out, right? Yeah. So what I do is if I ever feel that we're doing a good job, but I can understand if a patient feels like that wasn't enough time, yeah. I always like to preamble towards the end. Uh, and I say this, all right, uh, thanks for your patience. We're almost done. 
when they hear that, I'm not saying we're done, right? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like psychology-wise, like when you say that, okay, so we're almost done, but I don't feel like, I feel like you could have done more. Well, there's always room for that because I said we're almost done. Uh, so I kind of gauge their response. <laughs> you know, if I say that uh, we're almost done and patient says, oh, already? Then I was like, you know, remember we said we're almost done and I'll spend <laughs> this a little bit more time, okay? A little bit more time. And if they says, okay, then I just kind of wrap it up. Again, we're not, uh, you know, lowering the quality here. Yeah, yeah. But part of it is it, the perception is important that a patient felt like they were taken care of, they were paid attention to. Yeah, yeah. So I think you should try that next time because I haven't had an issue like that, like yeah. an awkward encounter like that since I kind of tried to preamble the patient towards the end there. Yeah. So do you you spend a little t- more time, take your time flossing a little longer or polishing a little longer? Yeah, just spend a little bit more time polishing. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you can kind of get a feel for that, right? It's, yeah, it's yeah, hard yeah. for me to like, give you exact prescriptions, but like, yeah, yeah. you know, just read the room <laughs> and you'll be fine. What I've been doing was like near the end, I'll be like, well, you know, your hygiene is really good. So you made things really easy for us. So, you know, make them feel a little good. about. That's a good one too. Uh, I think I used to do that too. I just found the other one more effective, but yeah, that's a good one as well. Have you ever tried showing people in the mirror, like what you did? Like, oh, look, I removed all the staining. It looks really good. Yeah. Well, I do that for patients who have calculus, right? And then that's like a really good teaching moment. Be like, oh, that's why you need to do better. But then I feel like when their hygiene is already really good, there's not too much to show them. That's true. Well, how do you show the calculus? Like, do you take like a photo of the lingual or something? No, I just, I bring the mirror. I have them hold a hand mirror, just like in dental school. And then oh. I'll uh, bring my mirror, uh, show them the, the easiest place to show them like the lower front teeth on the inside, you know? Yeah. I'll show them that and like that's usually pretty obvious. And then I'll show them after when I'm done and then you see like little black triangles or gaps between their teeth. They'll be like, oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I only do, I only show when like patients' chief complaint, they let, let me know that they're concerned about the staining. Hmm. Um, but besides that, I don't really do that. So that's talking about like hygiene, right? I mean, the whole time when you guys were speaking about hygiene, all I can think about was extractions. Where like you know, <laughs> you're, showing, you're showing them the tooth. You're like, I took this out of you. You know, I'm, I don't know about showing calculus, but like you show them, like, I took this out of you. And for some teeth, it can come out in like one minute. And you're like, you know, this came out of you. Some patients are like, oh, that's it. That took so quick. Like I'm expecting, you know, 30 minutes. But I think you're, you're being paid for your expertise. And you're, you know, it's great that you can get a wisdom tooth out in one minute. But sometimes some of them do take 40 minutes. And with the patient, rather sit there for 40 minutes that you you know digging around trying to get root tips out when you can really just get it out in one minute i don't think they um understand that it's it's a good thing to finish in one minute you know Mm -hmm. for sure all right uh let's uh let's move on to the next point there so my point i wish my patients knew that when they go to a different dentist and is told that you need five fillings and you go back to your old dentist and he or she says you don't need any fillings they are both right And I really want to pause here because I want the audience to really sit with this because it sounds weird. But I think if you're if you're a dentist, it it makes sense. So I'm gonna say this again, okay? When you go to like a new dentist or a different dentist, and it's told you need five fillings, and you get shocked or you get concerned, or you feel like you want a second opinion, and you go back to your old dentist and they say you don't need any, they're both right. So let's break this down. So first, before we talk about fillings, right, let's talk about cavities because that's likely the reason for it. And, you know, cavity, it's a hole in the tooth due to acid damage caused by bacteria on your teeth, right? Uh, First important point here, 
is that it's not useful to treat tooth cavity as something that exists like in a binary state. It's not like when you, you know, lack oral hygiene care or diet care and uh, you have no cavities, no cavities, and then you just cross this arbitrary fresh, a threshold and you just now have five cavities and teeth hurts. But it doesn't work that way. It, it exists in a spectrum. And a cavity is a progressive disease that, you know, it can take months to years to really develop into something significant. So in this spectrum that I'm t- talking about, on the far left, you have just clean tooth, right? Just clean tooth, clean gums, no treat treatment necessary to larger and larger and larger cavities until you get to the far right where, you know, you have crumpled teeth, uh, teeth with gum boil, teeth with infections, um, sensitivity, pain, swelling, fever. And at that point, like most people are, most practitioners are going to recommend like, you know, you, you got to get this out or you could have potentially lethal consequences. So you have these two uh, sides in a spectrum and for the sake of this discussion, I'm not interested in the extremes because there's overwhelming consensus there about what we should do. For me, the interesting part is the middle of that spectrum. And there's levels to this, but for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to simplify this level to, so on the left, no cavity, on the right, severe cavity, and in the middle, what I'm going to coin as, quote unquote, borderline cavity. And this is really important for this discussion, so I'm going to define it. A borderline cavity is a type of cavity that with improved oral hygiene or diet changes, uh, it can stay stagnant without symptoms and even improve to ultimately not necessitate a drill and a field treatment. Okay, I'm going to say this again. So it's a borderline cavity is a type of cavity that, you know, with home care and other changes at home, you can actually keep it right where it is or even improve and make the cavity smaller without touching, subjecting that tooth to a drill and a fill procedure. So that's the upside. The risk with these is that because of the upside, some dentists in an effort to be more conservative, leave them alone without touching them. And there is a risk that these borderline cavities could get worse and much worse over time if nothing is changing at home, right? And it requires hygiene changes, diet changes, maybe more frequent x-rays. So there are real risks to leaving these alone as well. So it begs the question, like, should we drill these cavities or not? Should we actually touch these? Should we treat these or not? And I want our audience to understand that answer depends on your dentist philosophy and their assessment of the patient. So I said a lot there. So let me just do a quick recap. So first is that cavity has levels, right? And in that level, the middle is a borderline cavity, which can improve or get worse. It can receive treatment or not. And both of them has its risks and benefits. And the reason for the decision to fill them or not are multifactorial. Everybody with me here? Yeah. So uh, I wanted to actually get uh, uh, all of us involved because, you know, let's let's flex a little knowledge. All right. So when we say, when I say assessment of the patient, right? Like between when I find a borderline cavity uh, and me actually recommending a drill and a fill treatment or no treatment, there is a whole slew of questions or factors that I look into that makes me, helps me make that decision, right? So I want to go around the room and you know, see if every one of us can kind of contribute what those factors could be. Um, you know, starting with Dr. Leo, can, can you give us one? <laughs> um, so I guess um, I look at if they have a lot of cavities in their mouth and when those were done, if they were done pretty recently, then 
we have a higher okay. risk that cavity is going to progress. I agree. Yeah. So the number of cavity, is that borderline cavity the only one I see? Or do I see like, you know, 15 of these? Because that definitely helps me tip the scales. Thank you for that. Um, Charles, what about you? I think one of them that's super important is patient symptoms. Are they having pain? Are they not? You know, are they happy? Are they not? Like, you know, patient-centered outcome is really important. So that's that's going to definitely tip the scale if they're having sensitivity, if they're drinking water. And yeah, I think, you know, if you have a good history, if they've been your patient for 20 years and you have a good documentation that something is stable or it's not, or if you have reason to believe that it's not stable, like just say that chemo, chemotherapy and now, you know, now they have extreme carriage risk. So yeah, their history, documentation, and, and the potential of their age too. Yeah, another excellent one right there. So age, I think, is a huge deal, right? So if I see like a young adult who knows how to take care of themselves, I see this just one or two instances of unfortunate borderline cavity, I'm much more likely to be conservative and leave them alone because I have good faith that they'll understand the oral hygiene instructions that I give them, the consequences and risks and everything like that. As opposed to if I see like like an 18-year-old college student who just got their braces and I'm seeing these borderline cavities, I'm much more hesitant to leave these alone because, again, the risk of leaving these alone is that they can get much worse. And in the effort to be conservative, if we leave them be and let these cavities get worse to the point where they might need more expensive and invasive treatment down the road, did we really accomplish our goal? I would argue not really, right? So I think age is a huge deal. Yeah, dental history is really important too. Like if, you know, I see that this patient's making their dental visits every six months, uh, that's great. You know, one of the risks of commitments that a patient has to make if we're leaving these borderline cavities is that they need to come to these dental appointments so we can keep track of them, right? But if this is the kind of patient that maybe I'll see them every four or five years, again, I'm much more hesitant to leave these alone because I don't want these to get worse. So excellent points there. And Michael, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that last one you just said, where like if they are people who come in like once every five years, then I'll be more like interested in helping them now versus like if they come in every year for a regular checkup and to get that x-ray once a year. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Same as if they were like, you know, you know, that's your last time you're going to see them because let's say they're moving to China to, you know, like they're never coming back. You don't know when the next time they're going to be back into your office or even America. You're trying to, you know, do something that's, I guess, a little more predictable or or even just doing nothing because you don't want them to you know, have a risk of a root canal and toothache um, while they're overseas or something like that. It just it definitely plays a part to know what, what they're going to be uh, doing in the short term. Absolutely. So um, I want to give two more examples. One is a more specific age group. So with older people, you know, they're just more at risk of developing other medical conditions or health conditions that make oral hygiene difficult. So imagine an 80-year-old with Parkinson's. I have very little faith that this patient can maneuver their toothbrushes and mechanically clean out all the plaque very well because of their condition. So in this patient, I feel more uh, aggressive in wanting to actually treat these teeth because again, I have higher confidence that these will get worse without intervention. Uh, one more thing is medications, right? Uh, with anxiety and depression generally on the rise, people are some people are popping SSRIs like Tic Tacs, and uh, one of the common side effects of these medication is it dries out their mouths, which increases the chance that their cavities will get um, worse at a faster rate. So my point here is that these are multifactorial and. All of these questions go through our minds within a matter of minutes to kind of tip the scales in one way or the other. And it's very hard to systemize or predict the dentist's um, opinion until we actually get to know all of these factors. 
So I promise uh, I'll address the main scenario that I began with, but here's my last point. What I think happens, so when I see these reviews where like, I got a second opinion, turns out I don't have any cavities, I don't need any fillings. Scammer, one star. What I think happens in these kind of reviews is that when dentists are discussing how to treat borderline cavities, I think a dentist will fall under what I coined these three types of communication. So the type one dentist is they communicate the whole truth. They go over all the benefits of treatment versus no treatment, all the risks of treatment versus no treatment, discuss all the commitments that a patient needs and how to own the problem and so forth. And the pro of this is, you know, I love it when people communicate the whole truth. Uh, In general, for example, I trust endorsements a lot more when they discuss not only the positives, but also alternatives and potential negatives of the product or service. So I love being communicated the whole truth. But the con is, there's a lot of cons. I thought of a couple, but I wanted to pick your guys' brain. Um, so let's start with you, Charles. Like, What do you think a possible con would be for someone when they try to communicate the whole truth? Well, you can uh, scare them away. And I mean, it's, it's, it's being a doctor, it's, it is tough because you guys... You know, we have to tell patients things that sometimes they don't want to hear because we think it's the truth, or at least it's, it should be their truth too. Um, but sometimes it's not their truth and they want to, you know, doctor shop and find someone who is willing to tell some, uh, tell them something that they want to hear. So yeah, scaring them away and and uh, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, that can hurt the patient. All right. Dr. Leo, how about you? I think sometimes people get overwhelmed with the information we give them. The other day, I had a patient who has good oral hygiene, needed no treatment, but she was starting a new medication that could increase her risk for poor bone healing should she ever need extensive work. But then somehow she took all that information and she thought that she needed a severe treatment Mm. Um, in a year or so and then it ended up going to her doctor and then we just had to clarify with her no there's nothing wrong here i'm just telling you what can happen in the future or some of the risks of the medication that you're taking and just you know underlining the importance of oral hygiene if you do start this medication but i think yeah people definitely get overwhelmed with all the information sometimes yeah i've definitely been there how far of a timeline do we need to educate patients it's it's a big question for me as well and uh, dr chan how about you well so that that one was kind of like misunderstanding information too right like when Mm -hmm. you have a lot but i think for me it's similar to charles like decision paralysis probably so I feel like I am that type type one dentist that you're describing. I always tell them everything. And I certainly have a few patients who be like, uh, well, I don't know. They're like, Dr. Chen, you tell me. Like, you're the expert. You tell me what I should do. Because I'd be like, oh, do you want to monitor this? Or do you want to fill it? Because I feel like it's borderline. They're doing a pretty good job with their hygiene. Uh, and then they'll be like, I don't know. What do you think I should do? Right. <laughs> so I think just decision paralysis, not knowing what to uh, do. All excellent points, sir. So I'll tell you like what I actually wrote down. I wrote down paradox of choice. I wrote analysis paralysis a lot of time and money. <laughs> so, I mean, I really tried to get this conversation like bro- simplified to the point where I feel like I can confidently explain this to a non-dentist. And just like, even just me talking about this, like look how much context that I need to put up before like starting to actually go into the analysis of that review, right? It's, it just takes a lot of time. And if the patient is just not right for it, they're gonna look at you just flabbergasted. and. Part of it is that there is like an element of treatment and business involved and kind of the idea of scaring a patient away. I think that's also a genuine concern as well. You know, I'm not going to pretend that's not, right? So I think there's a lot of cons to this. Um, there is type two, which is, this is a dentist who wants to treat the borderline cavity, 
But because of the cons of excessive discussion, they just don't discuss the nuance of leaving it and its risks and convinced that you'll get worse otherwise without treatment. And they basically cut out the benefits of no treatment as part of this conversation. And what I see often happen here is that for a type 2 dentist, the conversation basically simplifies to, you have a cavity, I recommend the filling. And a type 3 is, this, pay, uh, this doctor doesn't want to treat the borderline cavity due to the reasons that we discussed above. But in the same token, they don't discuss the nuance of treating the cavity and the risk of no treatment. And they con- they're convinced that filling has more risk than benefits. And they cut out the benefits of actually drilling and filling. And then that part of the conversation. Uh, for this dentist, it, it really may simplify to just, you have no cavity. <laughs> so type two, they simplify to, you have a cavity, I recommend the filling. The type three, you simplify the conversation to, you, know, you have no cavity. And I think it's, it's very realistic to think about that. I mean, why mention the, even the word borderline cavity or closed cavity? Because if you're not going to treat it, all you've done, I would argue, I can argue that all you've done is introduce your patient to interpreting this as contradictory information and even worse, introduce a lack of confidence in what you're talking about. So I understand this concern as well. Well, I think the benefit would be you'd let them know so that they'll try to improve their oral hygiene too do better care, right? Right, right. Yes, yes, you can. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, it seems fairly obvious that we should all be type one dentists. I understand why type two and type three kind of communication happens because of the nuances that are involved, you know, and there's sometimes just very little time. And for me personally, I can tell you one factor is language barrier. You know, a lot of my patients don't Mm. speak English and I'm not fluent in Spanish, but I understand enough Spanish to know that when I ask for, uh, for my translator and I describe this nuance, I can tell them they're not translating what I'm actually saying. In fact, they're actually doing the mm. simplifying for me. So it's really hard to communicate all these nuance. So let me do another recap here. So cavities have levels. We're dealing with borderline cavities that can be treated one way or the other, which both has risks and benefits. The decision to treat or not is multifactorial. And once we make the decision, we most likely leave the nuance of the other side of the treatment while propping up the justification for the treatments that we want to do for the sake of, I would say, mainly confidence in our patients, instill confidence and simplification of communication. So with all that context in mind, I think going back to the main scenario, the five fillings versus no fillings, I think what happened is simply that your new dentist is a type two dentist and your old dentist is a type three dentist, which is to say your new dentist wants to treat but de-emphasize the risk of treatment, left out that nuance, and your old dentist doesn't want to treat, and they left out the nuances of actually treating the tooth. And their way of simplifying their recommendation, I think ultimately communicates seemingly contradictory information to the patient. Um, There is a chance that I just kind of overthought this, (laughs) but um, (laughs) I see this calm, like I see this particular rhetoric. I went to this, all of this treatment was recommended. I went to my old guy, doesn't recommend any treatment. I've seen this rhetoric so often. I, I don't think like dentists are constantly misdiagnosing, all right? I think there's a fault in the communication and I think I picked up where it could be. And I really for, feel for our patients because to get such different treatment plans based on the same problem, I, I can't help but feel that they're just probably confused as to what is the right treatment. I was gonna kind of add on that, you know, like you said that the you know, cavities are on a spectrum, you know, there's borderline cavities. Also goes the same for or treatment too. It's not just filling, no filling. Like some patients might perceive that, you know, not introducing a drill to their tooth means 
no treatment. But no, yeah, you, there are technically, you know, less invasive treatment options that the dentist can offer that, that again, might not be perceived as treatment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's um, it is important that I clarify the, the filling versus no filling. It is an example of a scenario that patients can attach to, but ultimately it's a metaphor. It can extend to treatments that are less conservative, like you're talking about, but also more uh, aggressive. So I was thinking like, okay, with all this, so like, what can a patient take away <laughs> from everything that I just talked about? And I'm not sure I actually have like a definite prescription here. What I just wanted to do was just illuminate the nuance behind this seeming contradiction because I think it happens a lot. And yeah, I just don't want patients to assume whoever recommends more treatment, then, then it's automatically scammer. <laughs> like that's not how it works. You know, like one thing that I thought of is, um, you know, I learned this from Dr. Husaini, but you know, when I was in dental school, I remember we talked about like, well, how do we reconcile these different treatment plans for the same problem? And you said, you know, as long as a dentist can kind of justify their decision-making and have a plan to execute, it's fair game and you respect it, even if you may not necessarily agree with the plan. So I think, I guess next time you can ask for more clearance, but ultimately also kind of give benefit of the doubt because it's, it's, a, it's a complicated, like multivariate analysis of a multifactorial thing. And, you know, we, we do try our best to predict the right future for you. So that's why I want to leave it. Any, any thoughts? Yeah, yeah, you definitely. And I like how you say we do try our best because I think that's the image that we have to uphold because I think a lot of patients can't find a dentist that they trust who, who is trying their best and who isn't doing it for the wrong reasons. And when people ask like, oh yeah, you know, I, I just don't have a dentist that is taking care of me well as much, you know, they're not they're not good enough or something like that. Well, I just don't want you, they're well qualified. Um, find someone you trust because everyone has their own treatment philosophies and, and ways to practice. And it's not really a good thing to jump around and have different healthcare providers because some treatment plans can contradict each other. Yeah, I think that's a harsh truth that we kind of had to come to terms with, that they can literally seem like contradictory. Dr. Leo, how about you? Uh, I think it's a good thing to talk about. It's not like black and white, I think, but it just just kind of off topic. But you know how AI is coming into dentistry and reviewing our x-rays. I wonder how that's going to change kind of like our treatment planning. Oh, you know, Charles had a very um, cynical take on this, which is that it'll be adopted by not the clinicians, but by insurance companies. Oh, yeah, for sure. To, to game the system to find a way to deny more treatment, which, uh, mm. man, it's cynical, but I think I think that's probably right. <laughs> um, all right, well, if I can extend like an olive branch here. So the scenario that we just talked about is how two dentists can treat one patient very differently, right? But I think the converse can also be true on the flip side. You know, we, let's talk about how one dentist can treat two similar patients. Uh, I guess my point there that I want to start jump off from is I wish my patients also knew to not base their expectations based on their friends or spouse's experience with that dentist. And I think it kind of ties into the example that Dr. Husaini gave earlier, which is like, you know, have you ever kind of run into this situation, which is like, um, so I went to this dentist because my friend got an extraction there and she said it was such a breeze. It took five minutes, uh, no swelling no meds, uh, and I feel great after one week. So I went there, and you know what? When I went there, this guy didn't know what the hell he was doing. He took an hour and a half, destroyed my gums, had to stitch it up, gave me pain meds. It's been three weeks, and I'm still in pain, and I'm still a bit swollen. And 
as dentists, we clearly understand what happened here. It's not that the dentist was on his A game with that patient and just totally forgot how to practice with this patient. Like, what happened? Like, anyone willing to just explain what happened here? The first thing that comes to my head is, yeah, everything's case by case. You know, a big thing that affects an extraction is just anatomy. and But also something that comes to my mind is that every practitioner would like to practice consistently, but sometimes we do have off days and sometimes every case isn't 100%. So. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. I'm, I'm not denying that that could happen, right? But okay, let me just give you a concrete example of what could have happened, which is that the previous patient got like a loose front tooth taken out, and this patient got an impacted wisdom teeth on her lower left jaw taken out. I, I think it's not a stretch to think that the difficulty between these two extractions, while they are both called tooth extraction, uh, the difficulty is just not even close, at least for me. So to base that kind of results in expectation on other people's experience, that's not a very predictable way to see how you're going to experience this dentist, right? Mm -hmm. And so I wish they knew to base their expectations based on the customized care that your provider will give to you and you only. It's a customized care, you know? And what the patient will take away from what you communicate, it's not always what you think it is. In fact, it often isn't. Right, they think two extractions are the same. They think two cavities should be treated the same, and I I, I understand the impulse to think that, but again, it just kind of there's other factors involved. So, yeah. you know, it really is epitome of customized care. Your your crown will never fit on somebody else's teeth. So, yeah, I mean, a good communicator will tell you like a reasonable expectations and the results that you can you know feel confident in. And I, I think a tangent to the original point that I you know, started this conversation with is that expectations should be based on the conversation between you and your dentist, not you and somebody else. That's all. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, anyone else want to share their points? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that goes it goes back to, you know, what the patient wants and like what's their chief concern. Um, you know, if going back to that top left molar giant cavity, like. Yeah, if their if their chief concern is yeah, I want to be able to eat on this side. I miss having to eat. Then that's kind of your your focus should be to kind of address that chief concern. But if their concern if their chief concern is like oh, I have I need clearance for you know IV bisphosphonate, which I need to I need to have to address my cancer treatment you know, to address my cancer. Then you're like okay, well, when's your cancer treatment? Hopefully as soon as possible. Then yeah, you're most likely you're going to try to extract that tooth as opposed to doing something that's riskier and not as predictable that might have a chance for infection again. So, oh. It's kind of tying to Eric's point. You know, yeah, everything is multifactorial, right? You're talking about how the crown won't fit on someone else's tooth, that there's other factors that can cause a crown to fail or a tooth to not come out as easily for an extraction. But when patients are asking, how long will this crown last me? Or how long, you know, that sort of question, or how long will this filling last? Well, I mean, we don't really have a great answer for that because of everything being so multifactorial. Uh, if anything, we have so little control of how long a restoration will last them. And, you know, one being if they're, if they continue their poor habits of the high carries risk, then their crown may not last longer than, you know, one or two years, but there's plenty of crowns that can last decades. So we don't really have a good answer for this warranty concept, which, which dentistry isn't a commodity or shouldn't be a commodity. It's, it's definitely a healthcare. So I've remember I met a patient who asked for a 10 year warranty on their implant and they had no intention of quitting their smoking. That's, uh, that's just not going to happen, <laughs> right? Not only can we not guarantee anything for 10 years, 
if we're doing a habit that we're not willing to quit that directly shortens the lifespan of the implant, well, how can you expect us to give that kind of answer? If two patients get a crown, but one is a has an actual diagnosed grinding habit, they're probably not gonna keep the crown in the same time, right? Ones that are a lot more risk of possibly breaking or fracturing them. So yes, it's it's hard to give these like systemized like warranties like, you know, a Vitamix because you're constantly using the work that we do. It's very hard, we, we cannot do that. I guess the, the more interesting, I mean, not necessarily more interesting, but what I wanted to know is like, why do you think that is? Why is it that compared to other healthcare, dentistry is more seen like a commodity? Because I definitely agree with you on this point. Yeah, I was going to say that too, because I've seen this like comparison often, like when you go to the doctor and let's say you get like a stent or whatever, and then later on you get another heart attack or whatever, you're not going to go back to your doctor and be like, I can't believe <laughs> you placed this poor uh, stent. I want a refund on yeah. it, you know? But for us, it's like... Yeah, if your uh, knee replacement by placed by your orthopedist gets reinfected, I guarantee you they're not redoing that for free. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, yeah, so what, any thought? Like, is it because, like, on an average, like, cost basis, it's a, it's cheaper than those kind of big procedures? So it's like, you don't treat it like an Amazon product, but it certainly is closer price range than, you know, like a knee replacement or something. Is that why? Like, the price? Well, actually, I was going to say the opposite. It's because they have medical insurance that can kind of cover the procedures, you know, and the dental insurance sucks. Mm. I mean, I would argue it's not actually an insurance. <laughs> well, I don't know if we need to go there, but. Well, if it's not just money, I think, yeah, it's a perception again, like about how, how the advertisement, the marketing, that dentistry, maybe it's our profession's fault, at least in America. I think also like people don't see like dentistry as something that is as necessary. Like you don't complain about if you need a knee replacement, you're going to, I really need that. But then even as much as we try to tell them like, oh yeah, you really need this crown or you really need this root canal. I feel like most people don't feel that like, oh yeah, I really, really need it. It's like something extra to have. Yeah. So uh, I would specify emergency care. They do feel that way. But yeah, as far as disease control or like when we want to actually reconstruct and improve their function, like treatments like that, people are not seeing it this that way for sure. I thought it's also, I, I was thinking maybe it's also cause like you see your dentist, you know, it just, they seem more approachable <laughs> cause like you're right there. Mm. Like you don't see your surgeon, you're knocked out, right? They seem very distant. Like you can't just like go to the hospital and be like, oh, can I see the guy who did my heart? Like you can't <laughs> do that. Yeah, it's, it, it seems more approachable there. Maybe because it seems like dentistry is a lot easier too. Like we can do a filling in for 30 minutes, 10 yeah. minutes sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, Not a real doctor. Definitely. <laughs> We've heard that before. Yes. Very good. All right, Dr. Leo, you got something for us? Yeah. It's kind of along the same lines. And maybe why patients want that warranty is that I think there's a perception that dentists are rich. Like we're trying to make money off people and stuff. I mean, we do, but. <laughs> yeah. But as we were saying, insurance is not what it used to be either. Yeah, the idea that like, you know, yeah, the media certainly didn't help us out with the perception. You know, it's funny, Um, I, I remember this anecdote. So my parents go to hiking uh, with like a group of people. And apparently there was this gentleman who was complaining about the uh, treatment plan that his dentist gave him that is so expensive, that it's, it's a total scam. And my mom said, uh, my dad, the whole hiking trail, he was so angry <laughs> because he was like, he doesn't know anything about dentistry. <laughs> and it, it became obvious to me that like, oh, he feels this way because his son is a dentist. And yeah. given what I know about him, I bet if I wasn't, 
he, he would pretty much agree with this guy. <laughs> I know it's just like a funny anecdote about perception of how we're seen. For sure. All right, anything else? Oh, yeah, yes. The main thing that I'd like patients to know is that, you know, a lot of times dentistry is no lie. It's definitely really expensive, sure. But there's that quote that says that, that dentistry is not expensive, that neglect is. Because, yeah, a lot of dentistry treatment can be prevented with good home. A lot of it's preventable, really high, highly preventable disease. But just because something's not hurting you and for you to kick that can down the road doesn't mean that's not going to come back 10 times more expensive, you know. And then, yeah, and then it's going to be really expensive. And then it's going to break the bank. And that's when your patients would have to come ask for help. And it's sad because you have to break it down to them saying that you need, you know, 10 teeth out and you still, and that teeth technically is for everybody, but they perceive it as teeth is only for the rich. Well, I mean, you did have teeth, but it could have been saved maybe five years ago if you had seen me earlier and they followed through with the treatment plan. So yeah, it's just the concept of prevention is key and dentistry is much more expensive if you keep procrastinating. Yeah, I think the modality of failure is the same thing as like um, weight gain or just like experiencing failures in, in life. You don't fail linearly. Once you start to fail, the failures start to compound with each other. And it only takes us so many failures until you're kind of like catastrophically going downhill. So I, I definitely hear rhetorics that like weight loss can be extremely hard once you pass the certain threshold of weight gain instead of just kind of going off a little, little bit. And dentistry is really like this. You know, the price range when we're talking about, you know, your six months cleanings and a couple fillings here, I think it's very reasonable. But once you get to, you know, multiple ceramic crown works and implants and prosthesis like this, that's when prices really start to skyrocket. So there's a general conversation among medical community as well, which is to say, I don't have an answer for this. It's a systemic problem, but like, why aren't we rewarded for doing good preventative work? You know, why are we only rewarded for actually treating the disease once it's there, right? Like imagine an incentive structure where like, they had some like way of analyzing like, oh, how many of your patients didn't need a cavity this year? Or how many of your patients reversed their cavities this year? Uh, it's a hard metric to measure. I'm not saying it's easy, but like imagine the incentives are aligned like this where prevention is rewarded more than the actual treatment. I think arguably we would live in a better society, like dental health-wise, right? Mm -hmm. I wonder where a specialist would lay in that. Because like, <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not really going to be super involved with like prevention, I guess. I don't get to see patients as often. I don't know. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, like I said, it's a, it, this is a whole systemic issue. I mean, there's a reason why this isn't solved <laughs> because you have definitely other interests uh, involved here. I mean, I will say though, like you are never uh, exempt from needing dental treatment, right? Even if you took care of perfect teeth, you might have very weak teeth to the genetic defects. You might have missing teeth. You know, all it takes you is, you know, you trip on a sidewalk and now you have a broken tooth that may need a root canal and a crown, right? So it's, you're never exempt from it, but yeah. All right, Miles. Dr. Leo, do you have one? He said it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was her, her uh, dentist. Oh, okay. Okay. Did you actually hear that from like people around you? Yeah. Like still? Yeah. Oh. I try to tell people about all the loans and everything. It's in the years of schooling um, yeah. associated with dentistry these days. I heard something interesting, sorry, off topic, but 
apparently once the government started giving loans to like uh, those are graduate health insurance loans for schooling uh, the dental schools were able to increase their prices because now someone is willing to pay anything so I think that mm. was part of our just demise. Yeah, with all education, like not just dentistry, like everyone at some point it's not gonna it's not gonna be worth it. But so far we haven't seen it yet. It keeps going up. But yeah, the perception of dentists being rich. I mean, I do hear it too. When patients bring that up to me, I try to make humor of it. But it's also like, well, I need to be able to keep my doors open, or else I can't serve or even help the community. I don't know if that's like a bad way to phrase it, but it's true, right? Yeah, I, I I like to think of it like um, at the end of the day, it's I I heard someone describe dentistry as uh, relatively higher paying blue collar work. So it's still like labor intensive. It's still and you're still trading time for money. So in that sense, it's uh, we can only earn so much until we get into the stratosphere of like owning properties and stuff like that. It's still hard work. Mm-hmm. It's still like physical work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, Michael, you've been the victim of this. Right. All those, all, those, all those PT sessions is a badge of honor as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. All right. My last one is just more like fun, lighthearted maybe. And so I was just wondering, do you guys remember kind of your first memories or first impressions of each other and how you guys became friends oh, in yes. dental school? Yeah. And just for context, because uh, for listeners, uh, the three of you went to the same dental school and I, I went to a different one. Well, I, I met, I remember seeing Eric, I think this is the first time. I might have been like, what, the first week of school or something where we're all divided into pods, right? I'm in 2C and then Eric are in 2, 2D. But I think we had to divide, I guess, of a like, mentor. I think every student was kind of assigned a mentor. And then I think Derek and I both had... Um, no, Louis, Dr. Louis. Louis, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I just, that room, there was like, there, we, you know, I was told to go, you know, meet the group with that Dr. Louis is in charge of. And I stepped into that study room and then they're all standing, uh, sitting there and then I saw Eric. And then I I, think, I don't know if Eric waved to me or if I waved to him. I don't know, but I, I joined yes, I him. <laughs> and then uh, I think that was the first time I ever saw him ever. But then, like, throughout the years, I we were always paired up because I was, like, 2C07 and he's 2D07. Oh, so you guys got to spend more time together, not because you guys chose to talk to each other more, but because you guys were always paired by, like, by the school. Well, no, I don't like to think of it that way. I, I actually reached out. <laughs> I, I, I do remember oh, okay. waving a high. And I, if, if I had to describe the genesis of our friendship, it would be that moment. So... I, I hold that in dear memory because, you know, I tend to think that I, I don't reach out like actively, but at that, yeah, yeah. that time I did. And it, it was, well, clearly received very well, you know, with good, <laughs> good friends. So I'm like, wow, this, you know, sometimes you got to reach out and uh, good things happen. That's funny because you did reach out to me too. Oh, I don't remember that. Can you tell us about this? um we were it was the end of the first day and um we were both taking the muni back to wherever our homes are and i I saw you there waiting for the muni and i think you like uh, you like came up to me and you're like oh you're like in my pod and yeah yeah yeah. you mentioned something about my shoes i was like oh what an interesting yeah 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 I don't know about the shoes, but well, I do, I do, I do remember when we went up to the similar, um, you did introduce yourself to people. I, I don't remember much about it. I do remember in the beginning, though, you're a very considerate person. Oh, do you have a specific memory? Uh, of that? It's hard to say. You know, I'll be making up memories, so I don't want to do that. But <laughs> I, I do, I, I remember feeling, 
you know, as Maya Angelou says, you always remember how people made you feel. I, I do remember feeling like, well, this is like a very uh, considerate person and uh, was subsequently one of my biggest teachers uh, as, a, as to, oh. you know, why I think I've became a more pleasant person to be around. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, that'll wrap it up for us. Uh, check us out at The Penguin Spective on Instagram for more clips, podcasts, and post-pod clarity. Till the next time, we'll see you guys. Peace.